Welcome to Creature Crunch. Um, my name is Matt. And I'm the other one. <laughs> That'd be Chris, yo. Uh, <laughs> that was... Uh, cut. So, you know, that's that's Chris. I'm Matt. Um, <laughs> this is this is the podcast where we are going to watch monster movies because we oh so enjoy them. Um, talk about them. Just share kind of our love and passion for them. And then we make a stat block for a tabletop RPG of some kind, so your players can beat ten kinds of hell out of them. Yeah. Because uh, let's be honest, that's probably what's going to happen. At least if, you're, there for? if your group is anything like ours. If it's statted, they will kill it. So, so Chris, um, yeah. what's our first movie? What are we What are we doing? Well, okay, like, stop me if you've heard this one before, okay? Um, you and your co-workers drive, like, a dump truck, right? Yeah, uh, like, everybody does. Like everybody I, does. Think, I, I think that is super relatable. And you're out in the middle of nowhere, and then the conglomerate who owns the company that drug the truck for... Uh, tells you to go to a place in the middle of nowhere, uh, stop and pick up a package because something's gone wrong and they need you to take a look at it. Well, yeah, obviously. And then you, you stop there because otherwise you're not going to get paid because we all live in a capitalist hellscape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the company says pick this up and when it turns out what you pick it up, it's an axe murderer. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, man, I hate when that happens. Yeah. It, yeah. And then like when you start to take off, your truck breaks down, just does not work. So it takes a while for the truck to get going. Axe murder begins axe murdering people. And uh, then only one person is alive, and you shove the axe murderer out of the back of the truck. Um, wow, that's, like, that, I mean, I was on with you for a while there, but that is a strangely specific scenario there, Chris. Well, yeah, maybe it is just the plot of uh, Ridley Scott's movie. Yeah. A space dump truck. It's what the Nostromo is. Yep. If you're not familiar with Alien, uh, what are you doing on this podcast? <laughs> I, I can't. Like, I seriously they skipped over the other reviews uh, podcasts and we're like this one. This one, like three thousandth down. Yes, they're the one. Yes, the other ones. That's going to be my introduction yeah. to movies to, to the movie Alien. These guys are right here. It's their first episode. They're gonna nail it. They're gonna knock yeah. it out of the park. <laughs> so, um, so let's let's talk about Alien. Uh, yeah. You've seen it a million times. Yeah. I've seen it a few less times, but uh, but I, I have seen it a few times. Um, and I just recently rewatched it to kind of so refresh cool. my memory because my memory be bad. Yeah. Um, but uh, so wh- where did this movie come from, and, and how did it develop? Any idea of uh, what do you? What is your boundless knowledge, Chris? Let's <laughs> tap into that well. Okay, well, um, like, it comes from a lot of different sources. Um, Ridley Scott's direction was inspired after he saw the original Star Wars and decided that sci-fi could be serious or be taken straight instead of being, like, Flash Gordon goofiness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's developed by a, a screen, <laughs> screenplay 
written by Dan O'Brien, uh, who also wrote Return of the Living Dead, which is another, which is a fantastic zombie movie as far as those go. Um, and Roland Shushit, who would write the later AVP movies, which uh, Ridley Scott would determine as non-canonical to his alien. Uh, speaking of the, of the canonicity of different alien stuff, Ridley Scott is really contentious on that front about what he considers to be canon to Alien and Aliens. Like, the AVP movies, he he didn't want Alien to cross over with Predator. He did not want that at all. Hated the idea of it. Um, so those he just didn't even consider. He hated the fact that in uh, Predator 2, there was the Queen Alien skull in the Predator spaceship. He thought that was, like just completely ridiculous and pandering he didn't he wanted his aliens to be like the only threat in the universe until he got to the later movies he's like i don't want to do an alien anymore i want to do different aliens and uh 20th century fox was like no like you're you're making an alien movie he's like i don't want to but you are (laughs) and that's where we got uh prometheus and alien covenant out of because he keeps flip-flopping on whether he wants to continue with the aliens or do something completely out of left field set in the same Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that that explains it awful lot, but it, it does. Like trying to develop a timeline for this series is nearly impossible. Not only because of Ridley Scott's kind of flip floppiness, but because it has been in a million different like media. You've got the movies, you've got books, you've got comics, you've got short films, uh, you've got board games, you've got RPGs, you've got everything, and a lot of it is considered canon to the, the original movie. Yeah, that, that's quite a bit of... That's a, quite a bit of a official plot that you have to kind right, of suss right. out. But but fortunately, one thing that we did decide with this podcast is as far as uh, the creatures and the canon goes, mm-hmm. we are only going to be focusing in on the specific movie in question. Right. So... Um, I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk about this a little bit later. It's probably something we should have covered in episode zero, but... But as far as, like, creating the alien stat block, we aren't even going to keep, like, the, the, the greater lore in exactly. consideration. We, where you want to, cons- like, focus on what the monster does in the movie we're talking about. Right, right. But uh, but again, we'll, we'll kind of cover that a little bit later on. So, um, so yeah, that's... So, um, that launched HR Giger into the public consciousness. Yeah, so uh, let me... Uh, yeah, so obviously HR uh, Giger was, uh, of course, the... Um, the design head on the creature, on, on, on the creature on itself, the, creature, uh, the space jockey, and the inside of the spaceship. Yeah, yeah. So, which uh, if, you, if you've seen any of HR Giger's artwork, like is immediately recognizable. He's got a very distinct style. Yeah, that that bio uh, mechanical uh, like pseudo sexual style. Yeah, <laughs> pseudo sexual. Yeah, yep. That, well, I mean, I mean, that's what the alien was supposed to be in the first movie. Like, it's it's from its head shape to the the jaws and, and everything about that like it is very very like psychosexual um but uh, the movie of course uh, stars um honestly kind of a, a really cool cast it's I mean, got a fantastic cast. it's got a really like, good yeah, cast yeah. um you got uh tom uh scarrett as captain dallas mm-hmm. uh, who had previously starred in mash and uh, eventually into top gun mm-hmm. Um, you've got uh, Veronica Cartwright as uh, Navigation Officer Lampert, who was originally actually set to star as Ripley. Uh, there's apparently a lot of miscommunication in there, uh, yeah. where she she was ready to be Ripley all the way up until shooting, 
And then yeah, yeah. Scott was like, "No, you're not. Uh, we actually got uh, we got we got this new girl, uh, Sigourney Weaver, to play Ripley, and who, who had, had some stage experience by that point, but not really anything in film. No, no, no movies, as far as I could tell. Yeah. Um, this was really her breakout role. Um, and I mean, and she, let's be honest, she did fantastic. She, she did a really good job considering so. it's a completely different skill set than than doing uh, stage. Um, and it's really funny. There's a there's a cut scene that shows up in the director's cut. After um, they're, they're, where Ripley won't let Dallas and Lambert and Kane back get the ship because you know Kane's got his little issues going on, right? And um, won't let him in, and then Ash lets him in. Uh, there's a cut scene where Lambert slaps Ripley for not letting him back in the ship. Sure, um, Sigourney Weaver was used to like stage slaps where you can be like not actually hit the person like not even come close because the audience is further away right so sound, sound isn't going to carry right right right, right. Um, so she she kept flinching away and Lambert would just completely miss like Veronica Cartwright would, would, would whiff the slap so she got permission from both Weaver and Ridley Scott to, to actually hit her and in the, the take they used for the scene which would unfortunately be cut right. which kind of makes the whole thing kind of bad uh, Cartwright just slaps her right across the face and um, Sigourney Weaver like flinches into it and just it it's a really solid hit <laughs> but oh, yeah man. she was she'd never done film before so it's something that was completely new to her but and then the uh, the alien itself um, was portrayed by uh, probably going to butcher the name but Balaji Badejo Balaji Badejo um, a, a Nigerian visual effects artist he was a uh, discovered in Soho by a member of the casting department uh, due to his tallness and damn gams. Yeah. Um, just really tall man. Really, really <laughs> big guy, which helped a lot with uh, with being in that suit and and just being very intimidating. When the, the, the cast would take breaks uh, when they'd get lunch and, and have tea and stuff like that, um, Balaji would not take meals with them so that they didn't even like know to have this giant person with them like to keep him as an even bigger mystery to them. sure sure although i did hear that um apparently he was just a very pleasant man he was yeah. a super nice guy from what i hear he was a great dude um do you want to talk about the plot oh man yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> so like as my little fun little story at the beginning uh was kind of riffing on uh you got the nostromo a salvage vehicle that has something what is it 20 million tons of salvage i think they say I, it's, I it's a ridiculous amount of salvage and i always forget how huge the nostromo is it's a big ship because we only see like the crew quarters and the part in engineering and medical and like just very little bits of it right it's a huge ship so i imagine all of that is is cargo right like um it's got to be it's got to be, gotta be it's, it's, cargo if it's 20 million tons of, of whatever they're they're picking up space <laughs> space supplies it's a place to breathe yeah yeah space space to breathe yeah but they, they get uh, woken up from uh cryo sleep uh because there is a distress signal being sent out from a nearby planet uh and their contract as is discussed by uh parker um they have to go down to investigate the uh distress signal or they don't get paid and that's one of the uh the like driving forces of this movie is the crew getting paid. Um, they're just blue collar people. They they you know they, they're away from home for however many 
years. Uh, they haven't seen their families in forever. They're in cryo sleep. And they wake up and they're told they may not get paid unless they go down to this planet. That sucks. That really sucks. Right, <laughs> right. Absolutely. So uh, a small uh, like shuttle, I guess it would be is what you'd want to call that, shuttlecraft. Yeah. Uh, goes down with Captain Dallas and uh, Kane and uh, Navigation Officer Lambert goes down to the, the planet. Um, you see the, our first view of an actual alien life form in the space jockey, or as the engineer, as it would later be called in the later movies. Um, and they find the a hole underneath the dead space jockey that leads to a bombing bay <laughs> full of alien eggs. Kane goes and puts his face up on one of them. <laughs> just, as you do, gets all in there. It's, 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 it's right up in there. Gives him no, you know, no, I, I did. It's, it, he, I, he, he does trip a little bit. He, he just falls in there, <laughs> and then he's like, "Oh, it's like there's something moving in here." Put my face up against it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, it's a running theme in the Alien movies. Is that <laughs> boy, is it? People just get real dumb around these things. Um, but he gets uh, the face hugger on his face. Through the space shield. Uh, all, up, all up in his All up in the thing. It melts completely through that face shield, which is kind of impressive. And they have to take it back to the ship. Um, they, you know, investigate the facehugger for a while, find out that they can't get it off. It falls off by itself, and then in the middle of dinner, like a complete rude asshole, uh, Kane has a baby alien pop right out of his chest. Which, uh, there, there seems to be a rather big misconception on that. Yeah, yeah, um... Like, it's, it's a common fan theory that the rest of the cast didn't know what was going to happen in that scene. Just because, for one thing, Veronica Cartwright does an amazing scream during that scene. And uh, it's, it's, it's BS because, for one thing, there's a script. Like, they, they read the script. Also, there's all of these buckets of gore and blood just, you know, under the table, off camera and stuff like that. They know something's going to happen. Um... They, they knew generally what the idea of the scene was going to be, that there was something that was going to pop out of a John Hurt's chest. They didn't know what it was going to look like. They didn't have exact timing for what it was going to be. And then also the prop, um, they only had enough like blood and goop and mechanism to do it once. And it started to malfunction. Like when um, you can see on John Hurt's chest where like, pumps once and then doesn't go anywhere it was supposed to come through at that point oh okay yeah. and uh it it didn't it misfired so that's why they pump it again and it goes boop, and pops out right and that's when veronica Burr, right screams and there's blood everywhere yeah she she wasn't expecting quite as much blood she wasn't expecting it to land on her yeah it, did. <laughs> it um, very much got it all up on her face yeah but yeah they knew what was going to happen in that like of course they did it's not like Kubrick was directing us. <laughs> right. But yeah, alien pops out of John Hurt, runs away, grows up to be a big, strong, strapping alien. Very rapidly, too. Like Super fast. That's, that's definitely something that um, that I, I remembered watching the movie, you know, way back and, and all, all along. Uh, but it really, I, I paid closer attention this time around. And I mean, I don't know if it's due to cutting or editing or anything, but like... It, it, it all happens super fast. Like it does. The, the gestation, the, like the, the, the face hugger is, is like 
on him for not all that long, all, all things considered. Not that long, like a day, maybe? God, if that. Like, yeah. it, it's never explicitly pointed out in the movie. exact timeline. Because, oh, I mean, there's no there's no revolution of the Earth. They're not on Earth, so you have no right. idea how long it's been. And the way that the movie portrays it when they're, when they're sitting around talking about it, I got the distinct impression that it hadn't been that long. Yeah. Um, honestly, for me, it was like, oh, only a couple hours. I, I was thinking about a day just because, like, they had to get Kane like out of from where he'd fallen right and load him up and then transport him to the shuttle and then get that so, back to the Nostromo. so a day at most yeah so i'd say a day and then and it's then when he wakes up you know when they when they find that the face hugger has fallen off and, and right. crawled away and died um and then he he regains consciousness um i mean not a huge amount of time could have passed between then and, like, the first thing that they're, they're talking about is, like, okay, well, I guess everything's okay. Everything's hunky-dory. Let's go back to bed. But yeah. let's have a meal first. Well, let's have dinner first. Yeah. And then, and then you know, and then you have the the, the, the uh, scene. The scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, again, it's, like, it happened so quick. So, like, gestation of that thing is super, super it's rapid. really fast. Yeah. Um, I think in, like, I, I know we're not really talking about the later movies, but, like, in, in the later movies, it does seem to take a little bit longer. Right. Well, I, but... I, no, you always think, I mean, you, you got you got to think that, that something like that you would think would take a little bit longer. But, yeah. But in that movie, it, like, it's got to be a matter of hours at most. Yeah, yeah before that. It's popper, kind of ridiculous. It's just popping right out of there. Yep. And then, and then, of course, after it shows up and runs away... It makes the most horrifying sound I've ever heard. <laughs> Like, even the other alien noises throughout the movie, like, aren't nearly as bad as that sound that the that the chestburster makes when it looks at everyone. Yeah, that little screech. Yeah! <laughs> I don't know what it is either. Like, I can't find what that noise is. <laughs> so that, that would have been an interesting thing to do, is try to research how they made some of the noises. Yeah, but I can't find it. <laughs> it's too bad. But, but yeah, but it, it, it pops out, runs away. And, I mean, there's a lot of, like, time of them looking for it, sure. But, I mean, again, it couldn't be hours and hours no. and hours. And then the next time you see it, it's full grown. It's it, like, it's, whoa! It's means... seven foot tall. Yeah. Uh, what I hear, like, the, the common theory about why it was able to grow so fast when, you know, it doesn't eat anything, is that it does find its way into, like, the, the rations and the food and stuff like that and just goes hog wild on that stuff. Sure, and but that's, that's that's more of a fan theory, right? Yeah, I don't think it's ever actually proven in anything. Um, and that's another thing that makes this creature like completely terrifying is it grows, it heals fast, like it's nuts, <laughs> like well, like spooky. Now, to be fair, we don't actually see it ever wounded in the movie. Uh, we, I mean, us, the, the face hugger is covered in blood, and that's how they that's how they determine it's got acid blood. Yeah. Um, but to be to be completely fair, the uh, the xenomorph itself, the alien. Does not get hurt. They just no. assume that it also shares the acid blood. Yeah. And therefore, they are reluctant to actually to fight it. Which, yeah. Which, if I'm being honest, is actually a genius way of making your monster oh, yeah. nearly invincible. Because, I mean, you, you have all these other monster movies where you, you either have to kind of suspend the disbelief that the humans are just absolutely useless and cannot fight back, mm -hmm. or that the monster is just too tough. Yeah. But in this one, they legitimately were like reluctant to actually fight it, and that's really, really uh, that's a unique way of handling. Yeah, that. and it's definitely a situation where the setting of the movie being on this honestly terrible spaceship in space like really works in its favor because like if they were on Earth in a warehouse it with the exact same plot, and who cares if it bleeds acid? Like it's gonna mm -hmm. like what go into the floor, burn down the wall? Oh no! Right. But in space, if it goes through the hole. 
you're screwed. Right, and that and that was a big point when the facehuggers bled a little bit. So yeah, so they they really really worked that to their advantage. Something to good job. Acid too. Like, yeah, no kidding. Like, like oh my through, gosh, like what six different floors or something it's, like that? It, it's several. Six, yeah, I mean going through one friggin' floor like made of like that, that stainless steel. I have to assume. Yeah. Um, no, it's that's intense. Yeah. So. Uh, Dallas calls it molecular acid at one point, or like it's similar to molecular acid. I don't know if that's an actual thing. I'm not a chemist. Yeah, and I didn't do the research I meant to, but uh, but yeah, that's that's what they, they liken it to, yeah. is, is molecular acid, which, let's be honest, sounds intense. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't want acid in my molecules. Yeah, like that's going to be, that's going to burn. Yeah, so I need those. But at, at, at any rate, so the face hunter bursts out and runs away. Um, mm-hmm. He grows up really fast. Um, they find it, or uh, what's his name? I, the guy whose name I can never remember, but I actually like him a lot. He uh, finds the discarded shell of the alien as it's growing, like it's shed skin. Yeah. And then immediately gets murdered while hunting for uh, the true star of the movie, Jonesy the Cat. I love <laughs> Jonesy the Cat. I. Why, why do they have a... Why do they I don't know a, why he's there! <laughs> but he is the toughest motherfucker in the entire series because he's the only one to live through the first three movies. Yeah, but... Uh, Harry Dean Stanton <laughs> is the Stanton. actor's Thank name. Um, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. So And, um, yeah. He's our, our first official victim of the fully grown alien uh, in the Drippy Jane's room. Yep, yeah. And, and another room that it's like... Why is there so much water there? It's a moist ship. Like, <laughs> I, I, I've watched this movie a bunch, and that's something that always sticks with me, is how damp this ship is. <laughs> like, like he's standing under the water in this room, and, like, drinking it and washing his hair and stuff, and it's like, is that their shower? <laughs> this ship? Right? What is that room? Yeah, it's it's like, I don't know. It's it's one of those sci-fi things where it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, of course a ship has a room yeah, like that. Yeah, it's chain. Right? Yeah, yeah, every, you have a drippy chain. Yeah, every ship has a And then he's like, well, what, what, what room... What does it do? What? It drips. It, it drips. It has chains. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, there's probably an actual reason for it. Like, it's some sort of cooling thing. Like, the runoff from the cooler. Yeah. Of course, then again, he, well, um, Brett is the character's Brett. name. Is, God, he, yes. he just stands there, and, he, and he's like, oh, this feels so good. Just let yeah. the water pour. He's taking his hat off. Yeah. yeah so, Oriel commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, chances are it's probably not a harmful Drippy no, liquid. It's, it's, it's just water. water. But, but why? Why is it there? Condensation. Or, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, you get the scene where uh, Brett is like bending down to get Jonesy, and Jonesy hisses and freaks out and jumps backwards. It turns out the reason that Jonesy the cat is freaked out is because Ridley Scott had like a big cage with a German shepherd in it. Riled the German Shepherd up, uncovered it, and shoved it in the cat's face. Uh, <laughs> Which is awful. Yeah, that ain't that ain't great. That is like the worst thing imaginable. Like, I know you're trying to get a reaction out of that cat. The cat's honestly a good actor. Good on him. <laughs> but that's mean. <laughs> I mean frankly, it just I think it comes down to direction. If if Scott yeah. had just given the cat better direction, probably yeah, yeah. could have given that reaction without the stimulus. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that ain't great. Uh, it's we, really not cool. We here at Creature Crunch do not condone... Uh, German Shepherds and cats face. Yeah, cat psychological torture. Yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, Brett gets murdered by the alien, uh, gets pulled up into the drippy chain room. Uh, we don't find his corpse. 
I don't think we ever see any corpses. No, and there's a reason for that. Okay. Um, and this is something that it is really, really interesting. Um, originally, Ridley Scott wanted it to be so that the alien could reproduce by making more eggs out of people. So so the in, in the original film, that giant chamber full of eggs was actually some sort of biological hosts. Something or... like that, yeah. It's it's really weird, and it was cut because the producers told them, like, dude, this makes no sense. Like, you, you can't <laughs> just have this, because it's in a later scene where uh, Lambert and Parker find Dallas in the process of turning into an egg. Okay. And I guess what it was is that the alien's tail is actually like a venom stinger. And when it injects them, it like shoots them up with some sort of crazy alien enzyme that forces them to metamorphosize into an egg with I guess a face hugger inside of it that's like so the alien's weird. life cycle is insane well I mean I could see it like maybe it shoots the embryo like it injects the embryo of the face hugger mm-hmm. in and then like the enzymes just slowly kind of dissolve the human body into like a human shaped egg right. but but you know that doesn't make sense it's like at that point biologically it's like why don't just shoot it up with the embryo of another alien but I don't know like and so like probably one of the reasons it got cut yeah it did get cut and um however since then it has been reintroduced into canon as something that can happen uh with the advent of free league publishing's publishing the uh, alien tabletop rpg mm-hmm. which from what i hear is actually really really good and i want to give it a try at some point Ooh, sounds interesting yeah um but apparently if there is a solo xenomorph drone like we have an alien right it can do that to continue to attempt to reproduce into a clean facehugger. Okay. So so almost like starting restarting the colony. You're trying right, to restart right, the colony. Start a new colony. And sure. I guess like when there's one solo drone, it becomes a lot smarter than when you have <laughs> like the, for real. When then when you have a ton of them. Because like in not to go forward again, but in aliens, they pretty much just have a rush attack. Right. In Alien, the Xenomorph is, like, very clever and very stealthy. Yeah, he, he clearly uses its... Uh, it, it's Noodle. It <laughs> uses Noodle, for sure. It, it, sto- it literally stalks the characters. Yeah, quite yeah. Literally. And so it, when you have just the one drone, it gets super smart. And okay. it can try and make other queens. I see. It's, it's really weird. <laughs> like, it's a bizarre bit of... of uh, of canon. But because we don't see any of that in this movie, no. we will not be taking that into consideration. No, it's just weird. <laughs> it, it's a fun, it's a fun bit of trivia. Yeah. So. so yeah, the alien he, it kills Brett, mm-hmm. and uh, and then what happens? Well, uh, from that point, let's see, is that when they decide to try, it, they find out it's using the, the uh, vents to move around. Right. And they decide to try and chase it into space with flamethrowers. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, like, homemade flamethrowers, too. Those yeah. are not, like, those aren't industrial grade no, flamethrowers. No, no, you can't go to Walmart and pick those up. No, and and most most dump trucks are not equipped with them automatically. No. Um, at least the ones that I have. Uh, yeah, you got a jury ring. Though. Yeah, yeah. So and that's what they do. They they mm-hmm. they make uh, they make their own, and then they get one serviceable ones too. Yeah, right. yeah, and well, and they they hand one to Lampert uh, to Lampert. Excuse me. They hand no. one to Dallas and yeah. like yeah, Dallas like I'm gonna crawl up on in yeah. vents. Here I go. <laughs> and uh, that's the last we see of Captain Dallas as he is manhandled by the alien to yeah. 
Yep, the grabby hand scene. Yep. Like, I, I, I remember hearing, like, other people's accounts of watching the movie, and that scene always freaks me out. For me, it cracks me up. It, like, it's just, there's he's a flash of light. like, jazz hand. Yeah, he's like, yeah, gimme. It's like, okay, it's it's funny. I mean, I'm sure watching it for the first time, not knowing what to expect. Yeah, it's terrifying, I'm sure. Watching it now, like, completely removing suspense, it's, like, I know it's about to happen. Yeah. It's it's so funny. It cracks me up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do kind of want to side note here they determined that the alien in the movie the xenomorph has been um adapting it's like i guess maybe not even just the 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 xenomorph itself but the face hugger and the embryo kind of adapt to the atmosphere of the nostromo Mm -hmm. like they they indicate that it is it's it's adaptable but one thing that it hasn't adapted is temperature and that's why they determined that fire would work against it yeah um which is a fantastic idea like I love the steps in logic there. Instead of just kill it with fire immediately. I mean, which, to be fair, would also have flown. But yeah, yeah. an interesting thing, though, um, upon w- watching it and knowing this in the movie, paying attention, it doesn't work. No. Um, like, yeah. It, it's really weird because, like, in especially in the video games, like, uh, when you fight a xenomorph, it's like, use fire. They're weak to fire. Or right. they don't like fire. Right. And it's more, it's not really that it's weak to fire. It's more, it just don't really care to be lit on fire, which is understandable. Yeah, I, I think I can I relate. I get that, too. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, it backs away from it because it's uh, it's fire. And, but, yeah. but still, in the movie, like, the fire does nothing to deter it. No, it really doesn't. So, like, it, it's just interesting how that became kind of a staple of the alien movies yeah. and the alien biology. So, just... So, uh, so, but yeah, Dallas is crawling in there. We got the grabby hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, his body is never seen again, nope. at least... Uh, in the in, a, in any official yeah, capacity, yeah. so um, and then we have the uh, <laughs> I think the uh, another infamous scene with um, Ash. Oh yeah, Ash. <laughs> and that's when you know Ripley starts taking taking control, um, going into Mother the you know the, the computer the <laughs> AI I guess you could call it the and, big blinky light room. Yeah, the big blinky light room, and then finds finds the truth, and then has her little scene with. Ash, so she she <laughs> he just pops up behind her shoulder like, "Hey, what you looking at?" Yeah, like, um, and then, and it's revealed that Ash is, of course, an android. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's kind of interesting how they reveal this because the first thing that happens is he gets hit in the head and then starts bleeding milk. Yeah, and, and it's like, well, that, that ain't normal human no. stuff. Like that's that's all we're doing. It's like, what the hell is Ash? Is he another type of alien? Is he? What is he? Right. Because, like, now if you're watching an alien movie, it's like, oh, that man's bleeding milk and is full of pasta. <laughs> He's an android. <laughs> right, right. But back then, it was, you know, nobody had any idea. Yeah, what like, is what the hell is going on? And it's like, you still don't really know what's going on with him until they knock his head completely off. And Parker shouts, he's a robot! <laughs> I don't know why robots run on pasta infrastructure, but... It's the future, Chris. That's why. Oh, <laughs> Are you an engineer? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> I am neither a chemist nor an engineer. Well, there you go. Um, I will say, though, that, like, again, watching it, and, and this is coming from a post, like, obviously, a post-Aliens right. franchise thing. Like, I played Alien Isolation, yeah, and, yeah. The, and the androids in that take a freaking beating. Ash don't, though. <laughs> Ash, he gets a head bump and, like, completely loses the plot. Yeah, like... Like they, they just kind of rough him up, shove him around a little bit, and his head just kind of falls off. Like, it's so funny. I love it. 
they, they, they defeat Ash. Ash gives a little bit of exposition, a little, a little bit, not a, not a huge exposition dump mm-hmm. or anything, but you, you start learning more. Um, and that's where he like starts kind of giving a little bit more insight into the alien itself. Right. That's where the, the term perfect organism is brought yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so after that though, is kind of when they decide, okay, we need to leave this yeah. ship. It's um, time to just pull up roots and leave. Yeah. And they're like, well, we're going to, we're going to, just going to blow it up. We're going to self-destruct mm-hmm. the pod, the escape pod at this point. Like they, they discussed it earlier in the movie and they're like, Hey, we could use this. And they're like, well, no, it can't hold this many people because yeah. that's a good way of building a ship. But, um, <laughs> and, uh, but they're like, okay, well, now that Ash is dead and Dallas he is dead. He wouldn't even have because Ash was a robot. He wouldn't breathe in anyone. Right. Well, they didn't know that. They didn't know that. But no. But now they're like, okay, well, now we can all fit in the escape yeah. shuttle. So let's go do that. Let's blow this thing and, and head out. Uh, Lambert and Parker go down to engineering and begin pulling up, uh, like, what are they, fuel cores? I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was fuel. Mm-hmm. And they're getting ready to just blow this ship way the hell up they don't make it <laughs> they yeah. pull a bunch of fuel cores and then the big chap gets them uh so ripley grabs her cap and prepares to do the self-destruct sequence and get out of there yep so she starts it up gets to the escape craft and oh no big chap's there already right yeah like that's one thing i noticed in the movie he the alien has like droopy dog powers. Yeah. Like he's always at the destination where you want to be. You're trying yeah. to get away from him and he's just already there. Yeah, it's really funny. They use that like motion tracker to kind of try and track where he's going to be. Mm-hmm. It never seems to work properly. Right. But the alien always knows where they are. He's got a better one. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's again is jury rigged, as yeah. they, they point out in the movie, and they explain kind of, you know, the science BS mm-hmm. behind how it works and moving the air and all that good yeah, stuff. It's but, really funny. Um, but no, the alien clearly had already planned. He, he forgot. He remembered to bring his from home. Yeah, yeah. From inside. Like, <laughs> I, we've talked about like the size of the Nostromo and the layout of it. Like, how are those air ducts laid out in this? Right, like, right. Everything leads to everything else. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that is technically how air ducts are supposed to I work. I mean, yeah, but... but it's just really funny. Like, there's no... What, did he get stuck in a fan a couple times? <laughs> <laughs> You would you would think you would have to, but yeah, or at least cross one and be like, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be the worst though? They're like, hey, this thing can bleed acid, and we really oh, don't want to lose it. In a fan. Yeah, and then it's like, oh, I accidentally cut my finger off, and now you're all dead. <laughs> what? <laughs> what happened? What? And it just falls into a big ceiling, like big spinny fan, and just <laughs> yeah, like acid everywhere. And, oh man, that would be a considerably different and less entertaining movie, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, she's she's trying to get away from it. She yep. she goes back to the self destruct thing to try and turn it off so she doesn't blow herself and her cat up. Mother won't do it. Yeah, well, I mean, the the apparently the method for blowing it up and yeah. for stopping it blowing up is more complicated and time consuming than it's triggering it. It's video game logic. Yeah, it was. It's like okay, but whatever. But yeah, it, you so. have to reset all of the, the fuel cores uh-huh. and stuff, and then like activate or deactivate the countdown and then mother ignores you anyway yeah as, as she does as she does yeah so um so then yeah ripley is kind of in a in a tough spot she has mm-hmm. to get to the ship with get her cat. to the shuttle with the cat um she ends up getting away yep but then it turns out mr alien is on the ship right and that is a great scene because you legit do not see that alien no absolutely not yeah it's it's very well done it's yeah a, a testament to the costume design for sure yeah, and, and the lighting and, and, and the set design because set like, design. he looks like the pipes right 
and then he starts to move, and it's like, oh, those aren't pipes. That's bites. Yep. Yep. Um, but apparently he's tired after killing a bunch of people. Because he's, he's just laying, he's like, like kind of curled up in there. Stuck. Yeah, and he's just kind of like hanging out in there. And Ripley has plenty of time to like go and get on a spacesuit and and get everything ready while he's just kind of like, yeah, I'm just I'm just taking a nap, man. Yeah. And she whacks him with steam, and it's like... <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like steam. He which, doesn't like that. Which, to be fair, probably is the indication of the heat change. Like, yeah. that's probably the... the or he just doesn't like a bunch of steam blasted in his face. I, I don't either. <laughs> he's never experienced a sauna, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's what they do at saunas, right? They just blast a bunch of steam directly into your face. Yeah, that's <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> But um, but yeah, she she blasts him with some steam, kind of corrals him where she wants him to go. Uh, he's able to like after she opens the the door, the, the doors, door. the space doors. I was gonna say the airlock, but it really wasn't much of an airlock. It, it was just it was just a space door. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he holds on. He's apparently a lot stronger than than yeah. we probably uh, is indicated anywhere else in the movie. Um, but uh, but of course she. Ends up getting him out, mm-hmm. sucking him out into space, closing door, and he, he holds on to the engine, like the oh, that's right, yes, yeah, yeah the, he, he kind of climbs up and starts he starts climbing into it too, yeah, which yeah, he's gonna get back in, <laughs> which is not where I would climb, but you know, well, I mean, he, he was smart up until that point. Well, then again, he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, no, he's just, he just wants and like, the thing is, she blasts him with the thruster. And he lives. Yeah, he, he's that's still, still intact. After yeah, that, that still didn't kill him. That's wild. Yeah, so this thing is tough. <laughs> it really is. But at any, at any rate, you know, yeah, Ripley, uh, she climbs into her, her freezy pod and heads back to Earth, happy ever, uh, happily ever after, right? Yeah, and everything is perfectly fine from there on. Yep, that's what I thought. So, um, so yeah, that, that was uh, the movie Alien. Um, said uh, iconic, uh, just just absolutely. Um, an amazing movie, like, yeah. Like, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's the best of the best. It's like, it's it's definitely like no movie's perfect, kind of thing, you know, and all that BS. But like this movie's practically perfect. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it everything really about good. it still holds up. Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely. Forty years later, it is an excellent movie. Yeah, it is just an absolute just treasure of a movie. Yeah, like it, it's tense the whole way through. Um, everything is very deliberate. Like, there's no no just throw it in type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Except maybe a cat. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Why would you bring that? <laughs> I don't. I mean, know. and, and really it funny. can't be good on that cat to freeze it cryogenically. <laughs> I assume it was frozen the first time, like when they. Well, no, I, I assume so as well. Yeah. I mean, so I, it's, I, like, I it's been gonna... frozen twice at this point. Then. Right, but I'm used to it. <laughs> I, I can't be good for the. I mean, future future technology. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to be fair, humans can't do it either. That, no, that it's is, bad on us as well. That is sci-fi BS, but still. But anyway, yeah, um, but I, you're, but, the only thing I can figure is that it was like, okay, you can have your one comfort item. <laughs> <laughs> <brought> her cat. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay. Like short like got his little bunk full of nudie mags and stuff. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And um, Parker or Brett, I don't know which one. Brett, Brett's got his hat. Brett's got his hat. Yeah. <laughs> and and Dallas has his hat too. Dallas has his hat. Well, Dallas, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's got his cowboy. Yeah, Ash has all of the goop inside of yeah, it. Yeah, Ash has pasta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ash got milk and pasta. He was milk and pasta. That's the uh, the perks of working for the company directly. So you get you get two things. Oh, yeah, you get milk man. and pasta. Yeah, you just you just have to have them in you. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny because like you think they 
they didn't want the crew to know that Ash was a robot so bad that they froze their robot. <laughs> right? That, that is a good point because it, it, it done in, in Prometheus, I'm pretty sure, uh, what's his face? David. The robot David. He, yeah. He's just... He's just chilling. Yeah, he's, he's, he's taking like, care of everything while everyone else is asleep, yeah. which makes sense. Yeah, right, right. So but, is, is, but Ash is like, no, no, we're going to... No, I'm a man-man. You are super deep. I'm a real boy. <laughs> just, just, just be very careful not to scrape a knee, please. Yeah. As soon as, they, as, soon as you leak milk, you will lose your mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll know. Your head will pop off. It'll be a thing. Yeah. You're going to start giggling insanely and spinning around and doing the, the flappy attack. Although, it, that does beg the question, though. It's like, if, if the company wanted to implant a, a, an Android, like, kind of double agent or... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's the right term, but like, well, why not just make it the captain? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Wouldn't it, or, or, or just send a bunch of robots. <laughs> I don't know, but whatever. Yeah. Well, it, it was that probably... part of one of the books. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, I mean, it was probably more of like a, oh, hey, I just found out that this ship is heading, you know, this dump truck is going to this yeah. specific yeah. spot. The company is probably like, Oh, we know it's around there-ish. Yeah, we call you know, it a science officer. We've got yeah. a robot that's trained as yeah. a science so that, officer. That, I, I kind of walked myself back around. So it, it's <laughs> still kind of weird because you, I like, I don't know if you'd want him to be the captain necessarily, but I could see him taking like Kane's position. Oh, maybe, absolutely, like, second in command. Absolutely. Like uh huh. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not the science officer. I mean, because like, who knows human biology better than a robot? Yeah, like I guess. Have but, you gotten your milk? <laughs> yeah, like, clearly, Kane's uh, like, <laughs> on the on the table with a face hugger. Yeah. Like, oh, I know the problem. We just need to give him some more milk and pasta. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was the problem. Yeah, it didn't really wouldn't have really had any problems removing the face hugger and stuff if it would have been a human. <laughs> doing it. But Ash is just like, I, I don't know what to do. There's no milk inside this man. Like, Yeah, it was, like, yeah, it was actually a cut scene. It wasn't so much that, that Kane was hungry after after that ordeal and wanted to get something to eat before cryogenically yeah. frozen. Just, Ash was like, no, we have to get milk and pasta in this man's stack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's why he's complaining about the food. It's like, oh, the food's a bit. Well, yeah, it's just milk and pasta. Yeah, like, that's, that's a terrible <laughs> combination unless you're four. <laughs> right. But... Um, all right, um, but yeah, let's. Uh, I think we should jive, jive into the uh, the stat walk section now. So, Chris, you already did a little bit of work on the stat block itself. You you based the yeah. So you, you kind of based a lot of its stats off of the barbed devil. Yeah, you use that as kind of a a template. starting point template for this critter. Mm-hmm. Um, I did make it a little bit tougher and a little bit faster than the average uh, barbed devil. Just from what we see in the movie, it's very fast uh, as the way it scuttles hither and yon throughout the ship. And a little bit tougher because, as we mentioned, like it, it takes kind of a beating from different things without really getting messed up. Right. At least, at least in the end scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It can definitely resist the effects of uh, you know explosive decompression and um, also the, uh, the, yeah. the the engine in its face. Yeah. And of course, the dreaded steam. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit tougher and faster than the Barb Devil. Um, I gave and I did give it higher AC based off of that. Um, it also has resistance to acid, uh, judging by the fact that it does not dissolve itself. Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of made of acid, so yeah. 
Um, it's, a, it's a silicon base. Yeah. Okay. It's right, right, a right. silicon base. Okay. But but it's got acid inside. Yeah. So it, it stands to reason that it would be resistant to acid. Absolutely. Correct. We've also got a, a decent stealth bonus for this critter. It makes sense. Yeah. He does a lot of sneaking around. Uh, I when I was working with its uh, abilities and attacks and, and various things like that. This is where it really deviated from any previous template. Um, I, I knew I wanted to have it have acid blood because that's... Well, that's a trope. That's, that, I that's, mean, that's kind of a... That's what it does. Yeah, like, it's, it's a, a distinguishing feature yeah. of the, the creature, for so, sure. So uh, I wrote it as when it would take any sort of uh, bludgeoning, slashing, or piercing non-magical damage. So for just your average warrior sword, sure. club, whatever. Right. Um, all other creatures, meaning not it, in a... Uh, if from five feet around it need to make a dex uh, saving throw or take acid damage. That makes As absolute sense. As out from being hit. Right, absolutely. That makes complete sense yeah. to me. Um, I see here, though, that uh, so the dexterity... One thing, one thing I kind of want to jump into, uh-huh. though, is saying how um, one thing that I'd like to avoid in the future, and I think you've done an excellent job, at least on this, is mm-hmm. not making every single one of these monsters just an absolute bananas oh, challenge yeah. rating because... I mean, we all know any any veteran of any DM veteran of D and D fifth edition knows that challenge ratings are largely bullshit. But um, <laughs> yeah. there are guidelines. But still, it, I think it would just be super easy to fall into the idea that these monsters, like mm-hmm. they are very tough to beat in the movies. Therefore, they should have a high challenge rating. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. My idea on this was like, at least in this movie, they're fight like this. This creature is fighting. You know regular people. That's very different from fighting a D&D party. Right, yeah, who are more equipped to take on some horrific things out in the wild. Yeah, so, yeah. But, but it, I think I still think it would be very easy to be like, this monster needs to have like crazy stats mm-hmm. and high HP and whatever. Um, though that being said, uh-huh. you do have the acid is only doing 2-4. 2-D4, yeah. 2-D4 acid damage, which... Um, I think that that ship took more than two d four damage. Yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, and and because it's um, if if it's attacked with a magical weapon or a magical source, it doesn't bleed yeah. all over the place. Um, I would argue that it would probably do a little bit more yeah. to really emphasize the do not hit this thing with traditional weaponry. Um, My thinking on it was I wanted to make it a deterrent. And, like, a penalty, but not necessarily something 100% preventing that from happening. Right, right. Like, your, your warriors and your barbarians aren't going to be, or, God save you, a monk is not going to be completely boned in this situation. They're okay. still going to be, like, it's definitely a deterrent. Like, you don't want to take that. Um, okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, though... I do think that it should be 2d6 passive damage. I think 2d6. 2d4 seems a little low to me, but... um, I I always tend to pitch low in six. Which is fair, which is fair. Um, As a veteran DM of of 5th edition and knowing how uh, you guys, aka my group, handle situations, um, I am definitely not afraid of highballing it because uh, you tend to wreck things pretty easily. um, and, And... I can't speak for all tables, but I, I will say that players will surprise the DM. Yeah, like, oh yeah. Their, their capabilities. The, the things that take out the players are not going to be what the DM expects. No, it's going to be two snakes popping out of a well. Exactly. So I have no problem with kind of aiming a little higher. Uh, but uh, especially since we did do that, though, I also kind of want to bring in, 
I don't think bludgeoning damage should uh, trigger this. Um, don't think so? No, bludgeoning damage is implied as just blood force trauma, right. not skin rupturing. I was just kind of... Bludgeoning, slashing, and piercing is are the mundane right. dime damage. Sources. Which I absolutely get. I definitely yeah. see where you're coming from, but I am also one to really enjoy more flavor in my D&D. Yeah. Um, and I, so I, I personally think that the bludgeoning should definitely be out of that. Okay. The, yeah, especially with, with that, um, I definitely don't have any problem with cranking up that damage. Exactly. Kind of a balance. Kind mm-hmm. of a balance there. Um, a, little, a little less likely. Um, honestly, I'm a little... Uh, I'm on the fence on the magical thing. Like, I think that maybe like a magical slashing or piercing weapon would still do it. There's I see not where you're, a whole lot that does that, though. And, and I see where you're coming from with yeah. that. So, I, like I said, that's I'm kind of on the fence on that one. But again, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you've got this thing kind of just t- uh, at least with a challenge rating of uh, the same thing as the Barb Devil, a challenge mm-hmm. rating five. Um, so I think that so far this fits very well into this. I mean, a, a, a group of love of uh, four level five characters. Um, Probably don't have a huge amount of magical weapons no. on their in their arsenal yet, uh, so I, I think that works. I think that works. Um, and I'm also more basing that off of other similar abilities that creatures have, where it does have the non-magical claws. Right, right. Yeah, that's that is a lot. That that is a huge separator between what makes monsters, at least in in the designer's eyes, of what makes monsters dangerous. Right. Um, I will say in practice, it's not usually that great of a kind of a yeah. guide rule because usually by a certain level all the characters have magical weapons period and yeah. they aren't going to be using non-magical weapons um, unless you're a really good DM and can work that into the yeah, story yeah. but uh, but but I, I think that in, in the, for the purposes of uh, this I think that works really well okay. so uh, so that's the acidic blood I think yep. that, that works well it's, a, it's only a DC 13 deck saving throw which isn't super hard to pass but it's also a little a little bit more it challenging can be rough on like your your tanky characters like exactly. a paladin or a, a berserker mm-hmm. or something like that right so yeah i think that that uh, i think that works very well mm-hmm. so um my knee-jerk reaction is also to try to like add a clause into it like corroding armor or weapons and and shields and things but i think that that probably gets a little too so. complicated so yeah all right. Uh, so, what kind of what other what other things can it, Chris? Okay. Well, uh, I also had it, like one of its stronger attacks in the movie is those jaws, like the the mandibles inside the jaws. Like yeah, the, the second little mouth. Yeah, yeah. The goblin shark attack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which uh, so I definitely wanted to kind of replicate that. Absolutely. Um, so. I gave it this Brutal Jaws ability, which is a combination of, like, the Reckless Attack and the Brutal Critical. Uh, I wanted to, to make sure it felt strong, but also maybe left it a little open while it's, you know, extending its Right, numbers. right, which makes an ab- absolute sense. Yeah. I mean, we, we see this, maybe not explicitly in the movie, but we see this... Mm-hmm. Just wreck house, and you you look at that, and you're like, yeah, I don't want to get bit by that. No, no, definitely. like even more so than usual. So yeah, so what I did is uh, I gave it ability where when it makes a bite attack, it has advantage on the attack, um, and does critical damage on a 19 or a 20. Um, but also attacks against it have advantage until it's next turn. Kind of like I said, kind of bringing together that brutal attack or brutal critical and uh, reckless attack. 
Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I again, uh, my jerk, my knee jerk reaction would be to try to make it more flavorful and be like, well, instead of giving it just automatic advantage on the bite attack, let's give it like a grapple thing, and then when it's grappled, but again, that, about that. I think that gets a little too crunchy. Yeah, it get, it, it's easy to get lost in the in the weeds when you're doing, it's, especially like for me. I, I will admit. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that you were able to kind of ground me on that. So, uh, so no, I, I really like that. It, yeah, critical on 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. Um, having advantage on the attack makes it a very, very dangerous attack. Yeah. But then, of course, when it uses it, having advantage against it, um, I mean, yeah, it's it's vulnerable. It's out in the open. It's not using its stealth to its advantage. Yeah. It's just there with its mouth open and its little ma- its inner mandibles extended mm-hmm. right for the chopping. But also, in, like, several of the alien comics, I know we're not really bringing that stuff in, but, like, whenever it makes a mouth attack, it's real common to see somebody, like, either bat it away or grab that little secondary mouth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, when that happens, it's like, okay, it's, you know, it's okay. leaving itself a little low. Okay, and I, I, don't, I don't think we, we you, I can fault you for reaching a little bit outside of the, the knowledge, just from a logic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to get a little bit more tricky for some of our other monsters. Yeah. Movies, but... Uh, so I, I think that taking creative license and uh, um, a little bit of imagination is perfectly mm-hmm. fine. So, uh, so yeah, Brutal Jaws, it's got that. Yep. And for its third uh, non-attack ability, um, I gave it an ability called Darkened Carapace. Taking advantage of that big stealth bonus, it gets advantage in for stealth checks in low light and darkness. Which is chef's kiss flavor. Yep. Like, I, that. that is... Genius. Is that from anything, or did you? Kind of- uh, I think there's other creatures that have similar abilities. I didn't really take it from that when I was thinking about it, but it's a pretty obvious ability. For yeah, stealth-based ambush creatures. Okay, and it, it, I think it absolutely works. I have no complaints about that one. So those are its just kind of um, it, its abilities, right. so to speak. So, so what kinds of actions can it take, Chris? Okay, well, it obviously has a multi-attack. Most creatures do. Right. I mean, it's, it's all. Uh, difficulty. Job. Yeah, it's all that action economy. Right, right. Uh, so you're the Xenomorph, or as I am calling it, the Xenodrone. Okay. Uh, so that we to differentiate. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's our, it's our it's, own it's, thing. So um, It makes two claw attacks, or a claw attack and a bite attack. Okay. Alternatively, it can make a tail attack. Okay. So it's got three different types of attacks. It can make two claws, a claw and a bite, or a tail. Alright, um... I dig that, though I would rearrange just a little bit. Um, if, if it were me, I would switch the bite and the tail. Um, so it could make two claw attacks or a claw and a tail attack, or alternatively, the bite attack. Just because, well, for one, in the movie, we see the tail attack being in use in conjunction That's with another attack. Very true. And for two, that bite attack is so good because yeah. of that advantage. Yeah. Um, I would say that, uh, like, because, it, it, again, as a DM... Running this, I would never use the tail attack or two claw attacks. I would use a claw attack and a bite attack almost every time. The only, like, the only reason I, I made the tail attack separate instead of being part of everything else is because it does have a reach, and by itself, it does more damage. Which I, I definitely can see where you were coming from that. Um, I would still say that instead of... Honestly, if, if it were me, mm-hmm. uh, for simplification's sake, I would just say... It makes a claw attack and a tail attack, or it does the bite attack. Yeah. And then maybe decrease the tail attack damage. Kind of jumping yeah. ahead, the tail attack at this point, like you said, it does has a 10-foot reach, which absolutely makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and on a hit, it does do 2d8 plus 4 piercing yeah. damage. 
which compared to its 1d8 bite attack or 1d6 claw attack, yeah, is, is a substantial upgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just a little bit less damage, maybe okay. 2d6 as opposed to okay. 2d8. And then I think that the uh, the mouth attack, the bite attack, if it is the alternative, needs yeah. to be have a little bit more of a punch. Uh, so I'm thinking that one should be... 2d8? Yeah, I think 2d8. I think that okay. works. Yeah, if, if that's the attack bite, that it can only do the one of instead of being paired with anything else. Right. Definitely. Yeah, because, I mean, that'll give it incentive to dedicate it to to, to forego the action economy mm-hmm. and go for the single attack, which would do a massive amount of damage and be very likely to do so because of the um, the advantage. Uh, it, though it would, again, forego one of the attacks and yeah. also uh, leave itself wide open. So and for its multi-attack, how about this? Because if it does... It, it, a claw attack and then a tail attack. The problem is going to be um, what if the target is ten feet away and it can only hit it with its tail attack. The way I look, uh, the way I'm looking at this mm-hmm. from a DM perspective, yeah. is if there's an enemy within five feet of it, mm-hmm. uh, it can make two claw attacks. Right. If there is an enemy within five feet of it and then another enemy within ten feet of it, okay, it can attack with its claw and attack with its tail, which okay. to no. me really yeah. falls in line with what we see in the movie. And then if there's just enemies too far, like, 10 feet or further away, it's probably just going to close that distance and then attack. Okay. So, yeah. No, I get you. So I, I, I'm pretty comfortable with that. I like two claw attacks or a claw and a tail attack, alternatively bite attack. Okay. One thing that I did notice that I, I do like is it does not have resistance to, or, or uh, resistance or weak, like, it does not have a weakness to fire. Right. So uh, we, we talked about that definitely. Right. Like, it, it doesn't like it, like, you know. But, yeah. But, I mean, neither, more than anything. Yeah, neither, like neither do you and I, and we are notoriously tough guys. Oh, so, um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that makes sense to me. Yeah, I think that, uh, I think the way we are, have this. Are feeling pretty good about this? I'm feeling great about this. Oh, right. Um, as always, our, as always, but from here on out, I should say. As always. Our, yeah, as always, <laughs> as in this one episode. Our uh, sad blocks for our creatures are available on our Twitter at Creature Crunch. Yep, absolutely. And then um, I'm wondering if maybe we should make the uh, the subsequent ones uh, Patreon exclusives. Are, are you saying we're going to have a Patreon? Oh, we're going to have a Patreon. <laughs> yeah, everyone has everyone a has a Patreon. I, I, the way I look at it is, why wait for it to get popular and then make an, uh, a Patreon? Um, I think we should just start at the ground floor both ways. I mean, it, it doesn't hurt. So, um, yeah, for a dollar a month, you get extra creature stats. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly, exactly. Um, I think for a dollar a month, and and I, I mean, I'll come up with some some more stuff. But I think that uh, I personally think that. The the main stat block. I mean, that's got to be like that's right. that's half the focus of the show. Uh, <laughs> that's gonna be on our Twitter, like Chris said, uh, at Creature Crunch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the subsequent stat blocks, so uh, the, the face hugger and the android, which I very much intend on doing, um, you can find those on our Patreon. Just subscribe at the uh, any level <laughs> at the at the any level that I haven't made yet. Hey, okay, give us a dollar. Level. Yeah. The, <laughs> hey, this one with the buck, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, I mean, it may be just kind of a, a fruitless thing because once they're out there, they're out there. But, you know, who cares? Um, it might be fun to support us and, and get a, an extra monster. But um, I think we'll workshop that a little bit later on. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of all I've got on um, on the monsters from Alien. Uh, did you have anything else you would like to add? Uh, I just want to say that 
this is my favorite movie of all time, and I'm glad we covered it. <laughs> but, <laughs> do we want to announce what we're doing next? Uh, so we haven't really entirely decided is the problem. Um, <laughs> I do want to go with a movie that is a good, um, arguably. I appreciate it. And that. B um, also falls in line with what we're looking for as far as creature movies. But I also wanted to go for something a little bit more obscure, not something that everybody knows, like Alien. I didn't want to jump from Alien directly into, like, The Thing or something. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking that two movies really sprang to mind when I think about monster movies that I really, really enjoy and that not a lot of people have probably seen. In fact, I know for a fact that you have not seen either of nope. these. The 2016 feature of The Monster about um, a mother and a daughter on a road trip. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of putting it... <laughs> that's a gross mis- uh, <laughs> misrepresentation. Yeah, misrepresentation. <laughs> but they're on the road, and they, they, their car breaks down, and they're stalked by a monster, which um, the, it's, it's a phenomenal movie. I, I, I personally think it's an absolute phenomenal movie. Um, so that that's one of my picks. The other one, I think, is even a little bit more um, obscure. It's the 2019 movie Sweetheart which is about a woman who is on a, uh, kind of a stranded on a deserted island, and every night something starts coming out of the water to, to like, you know, something comes out of the water and is, and is scaring her, and it's about her trying to get off this island. Um, very, very good movie. A very good monster movie. So the, one of those two, I think, is going to be the next one that we do. Um, I don't know if you have any input based uh, off of those two descriptions. Man, I don't know. They both sound good, and I, I know they both got your recommendation, which is enough for me. Yeah. Um, which one do you feel like doing? Um, I don't know. We'll figure that out. Because, uh, like you said, the I, I, I'm really on the fence just because the monster is like the, where the monster is a really good focus on the movie and is a really good like creature in the movie. The story of the movie doesn't revolve around it. It's more of just the uh, kind of the obstacle that an incidental of, monster. An incidental monster. The the story is about the relationship behind between the mother and the daughter. Like, there's a lot of flashbacks and. And uh, it's a very emotionally charged movie, especially mm-hmm. if you can relate to any of that. But the monster is really cool. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, the, on the other hand, Sweetheart is definitely more in line with the creature feature. Mm-hmm. It's it's not trying to tell a deeper story necessarily. It's not trying to invoke that sort of same elemental res- uh, elemental um, <laughs> same uh, sort of emotional response from its viewers. It's just a really cool, cool monster movie. So, yeah, uh, honestly, between the two, I'm probably leaning more towards Sweetheart, okay. but we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, but in the meantime, um, yeah, please, uh, if you would, leave us a review. Uh, let us know what you think of the episode. Um, iTunes especially, is, that's, the, that's the biggest one that uh, gets the most visibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, just podcatcher of choices. Yeah, yeah. As and reviews. and um, honestly, at this point, even if you just want to like reach out to me directly, uh, it won't help the show necessarily, but it'll definitely help me. Uh, that you don't say bad things about us, in which case, leave us alone. Please, please. If you want to say bad things about us, just close the podcast. Just just shout it into the void. And, yeah, and, yeah, and pretend that we don't exist because, yeah. I mean, let's face it, we practically don't anyway. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and then if you want, if for whatever reason you really enjoyed us um, and you want to follow us individually, uh, you, where, where can you find, uh, where can they find us, Chris? Uh, they can find us uh, together at Creature Crunch on Twitter. Uh, they can find me at the Library C, that's C-E-E on Twitter. Uh, and where are you? I am uh, Danny underscore Hamstake on Twitter. So, um, but you can also follow uh, our other podcast, Shouting at Dice, which is our actual play D&D podcast that 
Um, although at the time of this recording, it's mostly just a collection of incomplete pre-made campaigns, but uh, that would hopefully change in the future. But, I mean, even if we're strong. Yep. But uh, well, we still have fun with it, so. Uh, but thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it, and we will see you guys in two weeks. Bye. Bye.